Well, good morning. My name is Zach Thompson, and I am on staff here at Calvary. Uh, excited as we get to continue our series in the book of James, where we are almost, almost ready to finish chapter one. Uh, I know that we've been spending a bit of time in this. We will go a little bit faster going forward, but there's just so much in chapter one that sets the direction for the book of James that uh, is, is worthy of spending time on. It is uh, full of familiar passages, and we're in a really familiar passage as well, to the point where in those scripture journals that you have, it's, it's all big on the side, and, and uh, we have it written on the chalkboard wall out there, because this is such an important passage that we're in. This is so vital for this book to be not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. I think in some ways this is a theme verse for the entire letter. We, we've been talking about how this is written by James, half-brother of Jesus, and he was this important figure in the church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to Christians, those who would call themselves followers of Jesus, those who knew the gospel, they knew the gloriousness and beauty of the salvation on offer, and James is writing to say, what does your life look like in response? Seeing that on display, how then do we live? And this is particularly important because James is writing to people who are going through trials and difficulties in life. Now, I know this can be hard for us to relate to because everything just constantly goes perfect in our lives. That, man, they're having difficulties? That's so weird, right? No, it's often in these times that are difficult that I have the hardest time remembering why God's way is better. I have the hardest time breaking out of my selfishness. I, I, I have the most difficult time of, of wanting this just to go away, to see any value or purpose in times that are hard. Just get this out of here. And yet James is writing for them to see these times of trials as actually joy because God is working in the midst of them. That when they're wondering what it is to do to ask God who gives wisdom generously to all without faults, that in these times of difficulty, that that's often when we give in to temptation, that our walls are down, our, our resilience is down, so it's easy for us to go down paths that aren't good for us. So he says, do not give in to temptation. It's hard for us to remember what's true. And so James continues to remind them of the power of the word of God, the word of truth. And it's on this last part, talking about the significance of the word in our lives, that, that James has been spending quite a few words on teaching us about the different roles that the word plays in our lives. I mean, look back to what we did a couple weeks ago in, in verse 18, where we talked about how uh, God has brought us forth with those, this word of truth. So by the word, God has given us the identity that he has. He has made us, he has made us first fruits, members of his family in this special relationship with God. We are given this identity by the word of truth. And then last week, we had this really interesting phrase, building off of the word of truth, those who have this identity, they then receive this implanted word. That it's not just that we are told who we are. We have this special place with God because of the word, but it's the word itself that's shaping us, that's guiding us, that's making us more and more like him. So the word gives us our identity. The word shapes us. 
So what is our part in all of this? What do we do? And that gets us to our passage today in verse 22. If we are given this identity by the word, if we are shaped by it, what is our response to it? And verse 22 tells us this. It says, but be... And this is a command. We've been talking about how James has all of these commands. So he says, you must be, well, what? Doers and not hearers. Sorry about the arrows. That didn't quite work out. Uh, So we're to be doers and not hearers. So when we were talking last week about how we receive this implanted word, uh, about how that's shaping us and guidance, maybe our minds, I know mine did, uh, our minds go to, well, how have I listened to the word of God? How have I heard that taught? Uh, how have I continued to go back to that for guidance? We, we think of the ways that we have heard from the word of God. And yet what James is saying that that is not fully how we receive from it. It's not just hearing the word, but it's actually doing it. In in other words, to receive the word of God fully requires an action. For us to have this identity, for it to be shaping us, there is an action that is required for us to be that person. Uh, Let let me put it this way. Um, If I claim to be a chef... A natural question in response would be, oh, what is it that you like to cook? What do you mean? Well, like you say you're a chef. Is there a certain ethnicity of food that you like to make or or a dish that's your favorite to prepare? Oh, no, 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 I don't do any of that. But I I know a ton of recipes. I know all about the theory. I, I probably know more about cooking than anyone on the planet. Does that make me a chef? No, there is a difference between a cookbook reader and a chef. There is an action that is required. I have to do something to be the person that I'm claiming to be. In the same way, to be in God's family, to have this special relationship, to be called a first fruit, to be brought forth by the word of truth, to have that shaping implanted word in us, there is an action that is required. It's not just receiving constantly. It's not hearing only, but it is doing, that we must do something to be the person that we are claiming to be. And it's really important that we get this. It doesn't say to just do something. It doesn't give us a list of tasks to accomplish. It doesn't say, here are five easy steps to be part of God's family. It doesn't say anything like that. It says to be a doer. It doesn't say to do. It says to be a doer. This is an identity. This is a role. This is a position. This is not just doing something once, but it is a habit a continuation, not periodically, not when things are going well, but it's constantly doing the things that God has called us to do, to be a doer. And we think throughout the Word of God on how many different things we are commanded to do. I mean, you even just look at the words of Jesus, we come across so many commands, so many things that we are called to do. We're told to repent. In the places that we go away from what God has called us to do, we, we ask for forgiveness. We turn away from that thing. We repent of this. We're called to love our neighbors, our enemies, 
each other, people who are both inside and outside of the church, we are called to love them. We're called to reconcile broken relationships. We're called to give generously of our time, our talents, of our treasures. We're told to have a servant's attitude, to consider others higher than ourselves, to seek to build others up rather than build ourselves up. We're told to submit to governing authorities. We're told to honor our parents, to pray, to forgive, to rejoice. There's all of these commands that we come across in Scripture. And James is saying it's not enough to hear these things, but we must actually do them And he demonstrates this by putting a warning to this, by showing the seriousness of this. He says, those who just hear, they are deceiving themselves, that they are not what they think they are. Do you get the seriousness of that warning? That these are people who think that they are in right relationship with God, that they are following God as, as He has called them to, and yet they are not what they think they are. They are deceived. They are something else. And when the stakes are this high, this is a bad place to be wrong. It's a matter of life and death, of salvation and despair. To be wrong on this is significant. When I look at the modern church, well, at least the uh, American uh, church, because that's all that I can comment on, I I see two places where we see this deception come in, where we are just hearing and not doing the word leads to being deceived. Two places that I see this happening. Uh, The first I, I call a moral deception. So this is someone who hears the word of God, they, they're experiencing it preached, they study it, they know what it says, and yet their life does not reflect the commands that God says to. That they leave here and their life looks nothing like what, what God's word calls them to live. Now, unfortunately, I find this deception too late. This is when I've seen it, when I've come across it, it's when I'm preparing someone's funeral, that this was someone that I saw week in, week out in the church service, that I thought that I had a picture of them, and yet what I'm hearing from their family, those who knew them best, is not what I thought that I saw. Their life was instead full of anger and abusiveness and manipulation and causing hurt, and every bridge that they came across, they burned. If we refuse to live the life that we are called to do. If from last week, if we are not putting away filthiness and rampant wickedness, if we refuse to have a life that reflects what God calls us to do, we might not be who we think we are. The other kind of deception that I see is one that I really worry about for us, specifically as Calvary Thornton, I I get worried about. We are a Bible church. It's right there in the name, Calvary Bible Church. And with that, we take seriously the Word of God. We come here together. I put pretty colors on a screen. We look at specific words that the text says. We, in all things, try to seek guidance from it. We want you in life group. We want you in Bible studies. We want you studying the Word of God on your own. That, that is a hallmark of who we are as a church. We take the Word of God seriously. We constantly go back to the Bible. 
But with that, we can attract a certain kind of people to this church. And this would be people who want more and more content. Now, I say that as someone who is a content guy. I'm constantly trying to learn more and more things. Uh, I have a problem with ordering books. Uh, I order them faster than I can read them. And so my to-read stack got so big that I needed to have a prioritized to-read stack, which was all of the books that I don't have, but these are the ones I'm getting to next. But then that got too big, so I needed to have a prioritized, prioritized read stack. But then that got too big, so I needed to have a note on my phone of here's the next books that I'm reading, and that's starting to get too big as well. If you have any suggestions on how to save me from myself, I would love to hear them. But I also went to seminary to learn of who God is and what he's done. And when I finished that, I went back to seminary to learn more of that. I I see value. There, There is so much that is good in the endless pursuit of knowing God more and more. That is a good thing. But we can run into issues with that as content people. As we want more and more sermons, more and more classes. We read more and more books. We listen to more and more podcasts. We go to more and more studies. None of those things are bad, by the way. We put them on offer for a reason. But as we do all of that, and if our life is not shaped by doing the things that we are learning, that the content comes in, but it's a desire to just get more of it rather than putting it into practice, then being a doer, then we're missing something. If the words that we have memorized in Scripture are not shaping our lives, then there is something that's off. If we are more attracted to the passages that speak of the Word of God, how it's sweeter than honey, and yet we ignore the ones that talk about serving and caring for others and loving, there's something amiss there. If we come here on a Sunday seeking it to be a time to build ourselves up and yet doing nothing to help build up our kids, our students, those who come who don't know the word of truth, our neighbors that surround us, if we're not interested in that, then we might be deceived like this passage is talking about. We are not who we think we are. That as we hear of this word of God, as we see what it does, as we see this identity, as we are shaped by it, there is a response to it, to not merely be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Now, there was a word that I skipped when I did it before. I said we are to be doers and not hearers, but I left off a word right there uh, for a reason so I could get to it now. It doesn't say to not be hearers. Like, you're supposed to ignore anyone who talks about the Bible. I know some of you choose to do that while I'm up here on a Sunday, but I don't think it's because of this verse that you're doing it. I'm just kidding, by the way, sort of. Uh, It says to not be hearers only. This word is so important, to not be hearers only. So that implies that there's hearing being done. And with that implanted word, we are being shaped by it. We are hearing from God in that word. So we, there is some hearing that is happening. All of that studying that we've talked about before, it can be good because it shows us more of who God is, more of what he's done. I think there is a deception at play here that if we are doing without hearing, we are also deceived because that is effort, that is work that's being done, but it's unguided 
And that might not be work that is fully good. Let me put it this way. Um, I saw a video a couple weeks back of this dad who was talking about all the times that he's been in stores and his kids have begged, uh, thrown a tantrum. They cried that they had to have this toy, had to have this book, had to have these art supplies, that they couldn't be happy without it. They, they couldn't survive without it. They needed it to be happy. And so the dad was going through the house and, and looking at all the piles of toys, all the piles of books and art supplies that were untouched. And he was saying, look at all of this. They begged they needed it, and yet they haven't touched any of this. And so it's this kind of like humor thing to show like the flippant nature that kids can have and, and how they'll say they need things, and it gets untouched. Uh, now, here's my response to it, though, and I fully recognize that I might be saying this as someone who's never had the privilege of trying to calm down a screaming child who's embarrassing you, saying that they need this toy in a store. I've never had to do that. But my thoughts to this was, dude, this is on you. You're the adult in this situation, your child's brain is not fully formed. That is just a biological fact. And so all of these untouched things, I think that's more of a reflection on you than it is of your kids. But there's a part of me that could be understanding of this, that every good parent wants to give their child everything that they want, to give them the life that they'd never have, to take care of them, to meet their needs. And I think that's a really beautiful and admirable thing. And yet to just blindly buy everything that a child claims to need probably does more harm than good because you're creating a mentality of entitlement in your child. You're being wasteful. And that was the point of the video. Of look at all this stuff that's untouched, money that went into this that, that was just wasted. But you're also not building any resilience in your child that when trials come along, when difficulty comes and, and they don't get everything that they want, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but in my life, I don't get everything that I want. When that happens, you aren't creating the ability in your child to deal with that, to respond well, to continue on even in the midst of difficulty. And, and there's so many other things, but I think I've picked on, on this dad far too much, but I, I think it's a picture of doing without hearing of being well-intentioned and yet putting forth something that isn't actually good. It's like building a house without blueprints. You're definitely producing something, but it's probably not great. And it's not as good as it is what we're called to produce. That's what we see as the danger of doing without hearing of having the best intentions of going and putting forth efforts. And yet it isn't, doing what it is that we're called to do. That if we're not shaped by this word, if we're not given the direction and path that God is calling us to do, we might be putting forth effort in vain. That it might be off track, that it might be askew, that it might not be the good that we're called to do. Now, it's really important. As we talked about, what does it mean to 
do without hearing? What does it mean to hear without doing? That we have this big reminder once again that James is writing to Christians. That he is writing to people who have heard the gospel that they are saved solely by the person and work of Jesus. That as James is telling us that we are to do the word of God, this isn't to earn salvation. That there's nothing that we can do that would earn salvation. Our imperfections got us to this place. Our imperfections cannot get us out of this place. So James is not interested in moralism of just getting us all to behave. But, and this is a really important caveat that we throw in there, while our works do not save us, when we look at the person and work of Jesus, if we do not live in response to that, there's a good chance that we aren't fully understanding what God did for us. That if our lives are not lived in accordance to what God, who has done it all for us, has called us to live, well, we might be deceived. We might not realize the work. We might not recognize the grace that was given to us. If we are not doing what it is that we're hearing, we might not be fully hearing. We might not be the people that we think we are. And to help us understand this, James gives us this, this illustration. I really like that James continues to do this. He just drops in these little, these, these vivid pictures that help us wrap our mind around things that are difficult for us to get. I, I, we've seen it a couple times. So if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously, but don't, don't ask uh, and not expect it. Otherwise, you're like a man tossed around by the waves. Doesn't that just give you such a great picture of, of what that looks like? Well, James gives us this picture as well of what does it mean to hear and not do? And he describes this in verses 23 and 24. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. So James gives this picture of, of someone uh, who's looking at the man in the mirror and, it, and he instantly goes away from it and forgets what it is that he sees. I think that's the important word to understand what James means here, this word forgets. And so let me, let me try to add some flesh to it. We just lost that. Uh, let me try to add some flesh to this. Um, so imagine that I go and, well, you don't actually have to imagine this. Every time before I walk up on stage, I go and I look at uh, myself in the mirror in the bathroom because I don't want to go up and embarrass myself more than I already had planned to do so. So I go and I look, and, and in this situation, I accidentally had dumped uh, my fourth cup of coffee all over my shirt. And I look and I see that this has happened. I acknowledge that, like, hey, look, there's coffee all over me. And then I don't do anything about it. I don't change my shirt. I don't put a jacket on over it to cover it. I don't run away in fear and embarrassment never to be seen again. I, I don't do any of that. Instead, I just walk up on stage like I planned on and I'm confused about why you all are murmuring. You guys are normally much more subtle when you point and laugh at me. What's going on? I, I had forgotten what it is that I've seen. That's what James is talking about here. The one who uh, looks at himself, who sees this is going on, but forgets, who doesn't do anything about it. That is ridiculous. That's absurd to act in that way. And so what is it that we are called to do instead? Well, look at verse 25. He says, uh, but the one... 
uh, who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who uh, forgets, but a doer, um, I'll just read it here, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all that he does. So, we see in this that we are called to do the opposite of what we saw in verse 24. This is the word forget. So I've lost capability up here. So if you just want to circle the second forgets that's in verse 25, I drew a line between them and it worked out really well because they're in the same spot in each of those two lines. So we are called to not forget. We are told to not uh, forget what we saw, what we've been told, what we realized to be true. We are instead to not forget about those things. The second part that I want to talk about is, is this perfect law, or what's called later on the law of liberty. We said that James has been talking a lot about the word, how in verse 18 that we are brought forth by the word of truth. We have this identity that's been given to us. And then we drew a line over to uh, verse 21 that talks about the implanted word, about how we are shaped by it. Well, we could draw that same line continuing all the way over to verse 25 with perfect law or the law of liberty. Because oftentimes when the Bible's talked about the law, it is talked about the word as well. Specifically, it's, it's normally the Old Testament, the, the laws that Israel was supposed to do to reflect God's character and God's person to the nations. But this is called the law of liberty. That's a really interesting phrase to have. It's fairly unique here. This law of liberty is, in fact, what God calls us to do, what he commands us to do in response to him. But this is in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. Remember, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. There are still the commands. There's still what God calls us to do, but it's a different perspective. It's not an obligation. It is a law of liberty. So what we're called to do is we look at this law, we look at this word of God, and it's like a mirror for us. But if we are merely hearers, I got thrown off with merely and mirror. So if we are merely hearers, what we're doing is we're looking at it, we're seeing where our life is out of sync with what God calls us to do, and yet we do nothing about it. We walk away with our life's not changed whatsoever. But as hearers and doers of the word, we are called to do both. We look at this law. We look at the word of God. We see where our life is out of sync with it, and we make the appropriate adjustments. We make those decisions. None of this is to earn God's affection. None of this is to try to live this perfect life to get attention to ourselves. None of this is to try to make God love us, but it's all in light of what we see in here, of who God is and what he's done and how he has shaped us. And because of that, we have a desire to live in this way that he sets before us, this desire to live this life that he calls us to because we see that it's better. We see that it's good. We see that it's for our purpose. So anytime that we come together here to, to hear the word of God preached or we're in Bible studies or we're reading it on our own, if we are coming to this mirror and seeing our life out of sync and yet not doing anything about it, well, it's as absurd as seeing our reflection in the mirror. We see the spinach in our teeth. We see our hair disheveled, the toilet paper tucked into our waistline, coffee stains all over our shirts, and we do nothing about it. If all we're doing is getting better at hearing, all we're doing is getting better at seeing the stains on our shirts and yet not doing anything about it. 
we are called to be both hearers and doers of the word. So let's take both of those. We might miss on one. Maybe we are really active in doing things, but we're unguided because we're not hearing. Or maybe we're really good at at hearing from the Word, but we're not doing anything about it. So we might miss on one way or the other. Or like me, I just collect errors, and so I'd miss on both of them. And so where might we be hesitant to hear from the Word of God? Where might, what, what is it that in us that makes us so we don't want to listen? When, when we come here together on a Sunday, for example, are we ready and excited and anticipating hearing from the Word of God? Now, this is nothing that I have to say. I do not have it in me to captivate an audience for any duration of time. I don't have any wisdom or wittiness to present this in a compelling way. It has to be the word itself that's being preached. Are we willing and are we able and anticipating hearing from the word of God when we gather? Or do we not want to because it might tell us to do something that we don't want to do? Our life is going to be shaped in a way that we don't want it to go. Or we're hesitant when we're gathering because this needs to be a place where my preferences are met. That a church is really just supposed to meet what I think it's supposed to meet. Uh, On this last one, I I have a little illustration of two different perspectives, two different mentalities. When I was in seminary, I took uh, a preaching class and uh, my professor said something and it will always stick with me. He said, if you go on a Sunday and you see that the, the preacher has more than a certain amount of points, he says, you should volunteer in the nursery that day because you will look holy and you'll avoid a bad sermon. There's a little bit of that that's humorous, but then the other bit of it is appalling that unless if our preferences are met, unless if things go exactly as we want them to go, then we don't have to listen to the word. We don't have to hear it. We can just skip and do something else. On the flip side of that, I think of uh, one of the most terrified times that I've ever been in preaching. I was going through an Old Testament passage and I look out into the congregation and I see my Old Testament professor. And I thought, oh no, what if I get something wrong? What if I mix things up? What what if I say the wrong thing? And so I went up to Dr. Volkmer uh, afterwards and I said, all right, let me have it. And And he recoiled a little bit and then he ripped me to shreds, but not in the way that I expected. He said, you preached the text. You made God magnified. You pointed us to Jesus. Why would I say anything against that? And that's the two mentalities that we have. This isn't to say I don't want feedback or, or anything like that. In fact, I, I probably want feedback more than I should. But it's to say, what is our mentality when we are coming? Is it to hear from the word of God or have our preferences set? Are we to listen and follow the direction that it will go? Or are we holding it at arm's length because we don't want it to speak into our life in a way contrary to what we want? On the flip side of that, what keeps us from doing? What keeps us from doing the word? Is it because it's inconvenient? Because it goes against our selfishness? It takes us out of our comfort zone? Well, let's just go really simple on it and focus on one of the commands. As we said, there, there are 
quite a few commands of Scripture, quite a few ways that we are called to do the Word of God, but, but one in particular that we have a focus on here, uh, here at Calvary Bible Church, in fact, at every church, at every time, uh, has a desire to make disciples. We don't just have it on the wall for decor. That's what we want to be known as, a church that makes disciples. And so the question is, where are we doing that in our lives? What are we doing to help people hear the Word of God and to do the, God, the Word of God as well? Are our lives shaped around the idea that we will do this? that we are looking for opportunities to make disciples. Now, I, I don't bring this up to shame anyone of like, are, is, did you say yes? Otherwise you're doing bad. That, that's not it at all. But it's the reminder that we are called to not just hear from the word of God, but to do what it is that we hear. That all of us, as we are shaped by this God who has done so much from us, seek to live in the life that he has called us to. That as we have seen who God is and what he's done, that it creates in us a desire to help others to do the same. And again, none of this is to earn God's affection, but it's because we have so realized his affection that's already been poured out on us. None of this is to make God love us, but it's realizing that he has so tremendously loved us already. None of this is to work to try to earn our salvation, but it's the realization that salvation has been poorly, uh, freely poured on us when we did not deserve it. And so we live in light of who he is and what he's done. That this hearing of his word, this studying of him, of knowing him better, creates in us a desire to do what it is that he says because we see that is a better life. And I want to end on that last part. Why is this better? We, we said why we should be doing this. We, we saw the warning of not doing this. But there's always this reminder of it's never just go and do this thing, but this reminder of the benefit that it is. And we see that in this verse as well. Look at the end of verse 25. It says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing." Circle that word blessed. We use this word fairly often in churches to talk about someone blessed, but I, I don't want us to become callous towards it. I don't want us to miss that there truly is a blessing on display. Why is it a better life to be both a hearer and a doer of the word? Well, because we don't have to wonder we don't have to be lost in confusion and anxiety of what are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to be? What is our purpose in all of this? These questions that plague all of humanity, we are removed from that plague because God's word guides us in these. We don't have to wonder who God is. Is there even a God? What is he like? What does he want from us? Because God's word shows us these things. We don't have to wonder in trials and the difficulty and the pain that we experience in life is, why is this even here? What's the purpose of all of this? Is there even a purpose of all of this? Will, why is this happening? Does this, is this going to last forever? We don't have to be lost in the despair of the pain of life because God's word teaches us and guides us in this. We don't have to wonder if God loves us, if he cares, if he could truly save Will he keep his word? How can we trust him? Because God's word promises this blessing upon us. 
that those who hear the word and do the words, those who are not deceived but are who God calls them to be, are who God calls them as, those people are living a life that is blessed for these reasons and so much more. That it's not do these things, otherwise there's pain coming, but do these things because of who this God is. Do these things because it is the better way for us. Do these things because God has been working He is still working and will continue to work in those who are his family, his first fruits, and the special relationship with him. By the power of the word that gives us this identity, by the power of the word that shapes us to be more and more like him, by the power of this word that shows us how then we are to live. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you have taught us that we have the ability to hear from you, to be guided by you, to be shaped by you, that you have not left things mysterious, but you have revealed yourself, that you have not left us guessing, but you have given answers. And while that does not uh, remove all concerns or anxiety or fear, we have the constant word that we can turn to to find comforts and direction and care. But let us not be solely focused on learning more and more about you. But let let the words we memorize, let the words that we know, let the words that we hear preached shape us, give us the direction of how we are to live so that we are not deceived, but we truly are first fruits, part of your family in this special relationship with you. As we go out, let us find more and more opportunities to know who you are, but do not let that be the end point. Let that shape us to know how then we are to live, to not just be hearers, but to be doers as well, to not just be informed, but to be living for you, to help others do the same. So it's to you and you alone we pray.